All right, Dave's coming down, Susie's coming later. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you that you are the God that is with us. Thank you, Lord. I want to thank you for Dave and for Susie and for their many years of faithful, fruitful service in China. Lord, thank you for the people they've seen come to faith because of you placing them in that nation, for the call you set on their hearts and all they've been able to do over the years. Lord, I want to pray your blessing on them, Lord, now as they share with us and share from your word, Lord. Would you give us ears to hear what you're saying to us this morning? And would you give them an ease and liberty, Lord, of feeling at home again amongst their family here? Uh, We welcome them, Lord, uh, as faithful servants of yours, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Keith. Could the uh, PowerPoint come up there, please? That's great. Okay, and if you could move on to the first slide, Susie, that would be great as well. Good. Well, I'm aware that a number of folks probably don't even recognize our faces, let alone know anything about us. So um, what I'd like us to do first, you've shot on to the second one already, Susie, can you go back there? Um, is just say a few, just a couple of minutes saying uh, a little bit of an introduction as to who we are and what we're doing. Um, we've lived in China for the last 17 years in the city of Xi'an, which is underneath that pagoda there on the map. It's a, a city of 8 million people. It's probably gone up by a few thousand even since I've been talking. Uh, The Terracotta Warriors are there, if you've ever heard of them. It's also a a major center of education in China. That city's got over 50 university campuses and over 1 million university students. So uh, if you ever feel a call to teach, there's no shortage of students in China. Um, Our main areas of ministry are teaching. I I teach oral English in one of those universities. Uh, I've been doing that for a number of years. We also, as a couple with a few other folks, lead an expatriate church in the city uh, that meets in our flat, about 40 of us, Sunday by Sunday. Uh, We can't meet with the Chinese because of the authorities. And over all of those years as well, particularly Susie, but more recently myself as well, we've been getting more and more involved in caring for and more recently fostering uh, Chinese abandoned children, many of whom who are disabled. And at the moment we have one with us called John. He's been with us now for three years. There he is, uh, a 14-year-old lad. We've known him since the first day he came into the orphanage 14 years ago. And he's lived with us for three years. And just recently, we've also started fostering a little boy called Luke, uh, just for a day or two a week. Uh, The great thing is they've both got the same medical conditions so that we know roughly how to deal with both John and Luke. But yeah, Luke's a a great lot of fun. Big smiles all the time. Good. Okay. Well, this morning, uh, Keith asked Susie and myself to share from Acts, Acts chapter 9, the last section, um, and to weave into the message something of what God's doing in China and something of what God's doing in our lives. Now, to try and do that in 30 minutes or so is a major challenge. So um, you're going to hear me first and then you're going to hear a little bit from Susie. I know as a church you've been working through the book of Acts and as you read through it, isn't it an absolutely amazing account of what God did in the early church from its birth there in the first couple of chapters Going through the chapters, a 30-year history of what God was doing 
in the early church. Even in the chapters that you've already looked at, the first nine chapters, we've seen God moving in dynamic ways through the apostles and the early disciples. There's been open air preaching and thousands have come to faith and been baptized. As a result, the church has seen dramatic growth. Alongside all that, there's miracle after miracle after miracle, healings, demonic deliverances. But it's not all been plain sailing for these early Christians. They've frequently faced various forms of persecution, particularly from the religious authorities. Now for us, or particularly for you, sitting here in Britain, for many Western Christians, as you read through those first few chapters of Acts, it seems like a completely different world to what we're in here in the UK or in the West. But I can tell you that's not the case for the Chinese church and for Chinese Christians. In the last 60 years particularly, since the communist authorities took over control of China, China has been experiencing what you might call a modern-day version of the book of Acts. 3,000 were saved on the day of Pentecost. At a very conservative estimate, 3,000 are being saved day after day after day after day after day in China. Not surprising, there are a lot of them. It's spectacular church growth on a scale that the world has never seen. Uh, When the Chinese communist authorities took over in 1949, they estimate there was probably about one million Chinese believers. Now, 60 years or so on, most people are talking about 100 million believers in China. 100 million. The church has never seen a growth in any nation of that proportion. Alongside it, there's been a huge number of miraculous healings, deliverances. Uh, There's a a well-known China expert Christian guy called Tony Lambert who's written a book called China's Christian Millions. And he's done loads of research in China. And he's basically written this book and said, if you go into countryside China, into the rural church, and talk to those Christians... Almost everyone you talk to has either experienced a miraculous healing themselves, something in their family's been miraculously healed, or there's been a significant healing in their village. Healing is an ordinary part of countryside Chinese Christianity. If you want to read a bit about some of that, then there's a couple of other books. Heavenly Man is one that I'm sure a number of you have heard of. And another one called Lilies Amongst Thorns. These books just record miracles as if you were reading the first few chapters of Acts. But it's not all plain sailing, as I'm sure you've picked up at times in the news. Those 60 years for the Chinese church have almost been continuous persecution, at differing levels of degree, particularly during Mao Zedong's uh, reign, uh, when he was in power, and the Cultural Revolution from 1966 to 1976, many Christians suffered terribly. Uh, hard labor, imprisonment, beatings, numbers were martyred during that time as well. For many Chinese believers, the book of Acts that you've been looking at isn't just a historical record of the early church. Many of them see it as their kind of their handbook or their guidebook to this is what church life is like. 
Thankfully, at the moment in China, if you have got your Bibles and turn to chapter 9, the last verse before we begin the passage that we're looking at this morning could, could be used to kind of summarize what's happening in China at the moment. In chapter 9, verse 31, we read, The church, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. For the church at the moment, it's not intense persecution, but there is, persecution is still there. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and it grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. That's really, I would say, where the Chinese church is now. Uh, in many ways. Good. Well, let's just read through then the passage that we're looking at this morning from Acts 9, beginning at verse 32. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Previous to this passage, the last time we had reference to the Apostle Peter was a little bit further back in chapter 8, where he and John had visited Samaria uh, to see the, the new believers there who'd come to faith through Philip's ministry. And here again in this passage, we see Peter traveling around the countryside. And this time it's into a Judean town called Lydda, which is midway between Jerusalem and the town of Joppa, which is on the Mediterranean coast. And while he's in Lydda, as we've just read, he heals a paralytic man and many turn to the Lord. Then he's called over to Joppa nearby where he raises Tabitha, or Dorcas, from the dead. And again, we see many believing in the Lord. This passage is not unlike what we've been looking at already in the previous eight chapters of Acts. Wherever and whenever the early church sought to make Christ known in their locality, 
they usually witnessed an amazing response to their going out. And many turning to the Lord and many joining the church. Why? Why was this New Testament church so effective in going out and seeing people brought into the church? Well, I've got four brief points that I want to look at and try and weave them into the China context as well. The first is a little bit different than the other three, and that is this early church was anointed with the Holy Spirit. These early believers were full of the Holy Spirit. That's key. That's key. We are never going to change this nation or any nation unless we, as the people of God, are anointed with God's Spirit, filled and overflowing. We're never going to do anything of any eternal significance without God's Spirit in us. Having got that anointing, that fullness of the Spirit within us, then I think there are three things that the early church did very effectively in taking the message out. And they're all W's, so Mike is very pleased. They're all the same letter, and there's three points. Words, works, and wonders. Words, works, and wonders. Now, although this particular passage we're looking at this morning doesn't specifically refer to any message being preached, the previous eight chapters have got numerous instances from Peter on the day of Pentecost standing up and declaring the gospel to um, where are we? Stephen in chapter 6 speaking before the Sanhedrin. Next chapter, Philip in Samaria proclaiming Christ and seeing many saved. And even in the beginning there of chapter 9, as soon as Saul is converted, he's out there proclaiming Jesus as the Savior and Messiah. These early Christians knew that a part of their message was words coming out of their mouths. Why? Because in Romans, how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? Even with all the salvation in China, there's still a majority of Chinese Christians who've never heard the gospel for the first time. How can they believe if they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? There's the words. There needs to be a preaching of the gospel. And we don't want to be ashamed of this gospel that God's given us. It's, it's not been popular in China since the communists came to power. They've done pretty much everything within their power to try and control this message, this proclamation of the gospel, getting out and changing and transforming their society. And with the wonders of modern technology, I'm able to kind of keep abreast of a little bit what's happening in this country as well. And I'm becoming more and more aware that it's becoming more and more difficult to openly proclaim the gospel in this nation. The authorities in different ways um, and other individuals and groups in society are trying to shut our mouths that we don't speak out this gospel. Now, I'm not saying we need to be obnoxious in our speaking out of the gospel, but we need to be proclaiming the words of the gospel. We are not going to see people saved unless the gospel is coming out of our mouths. And if we face opposition, we face opposition. 
China's been facing that for 60 years. They've been in prison for speaking out. They've been beaten and suffered greatly for speaking out. But I know many of my Chinese friends are not ashamed of the gospel. And many of them, many of my friends actually have been through a lot of hassle from authorities because they have spoken out. We need words in order for this gospel to be effective in the world. But not just words. If it's just words, then that's only a part of the story. We need lives that are reflecting that gospel as well. Our lives need to be showing and demonstrating the gospel. And this is where I can turn to the passage we're looking at this morning and to this wonderful woman, Tabitha. And if we look at verse 36, we've got Tabitha, who was always doing good and helping the poor. What an amazing testimony Tabitha had. I was just thinking, you know, if I died and they had to write something on my gravestone, what would I want them to write? Well, I wouldn't mind them writing that about me, but they're probably not going to write it about me. <laughs> but I tell you, as I was thinking about this, I, in China, I was thinking, who do I know who most closely reflects this person Tabitha. Who do I know who is always doing good and helping the poor? And this is partly why I'm standing here by myself at the moment, because the answer is my wife. And uh, I'm really proud to be able to say that. (laughs) Um, Tabitha didn't do good as a project. She wasn't kind to the poor just for half an hour on a Saturday morning. It was a part of who Tabitha was on the inside and who God had made her. And I think the same is true to a great extent for my wife as well. And I just want to share a few little instances from my wife's experiences in China that just give you a sense of how God's made my wife a little bit like a Tabitha. Uh, The first is... We live in a housing estate. You're doing well to see a a bit of green grass because it's concrete everywhere with high rises. But my wife is always out there talking to neighbours, talking to people on the street. And she's been given a a name by some of the local Chinese people. We Obviously, as Westerners, we stand out like a sore thumb amongst thousands of Chinese. And my wife's been given a name. And it's in Chinese, it's Liu Ma. And that means flowing mother, flowing mother. Now, we don't have any children of our own, but my wife is more than making up for that (laughs) by the way in which she loves and cares for uh, children, uh, particularly the orphanage children, the abandoned children. And whenever, not whenever, but very often when my wife is out, uh, we should have some more pictures coming up here now. Okay, there she is. Whenever my wife is out shopping around our little district in the markets, quite often she'll have a little one behind her. But the reason they call her flowing mother is that little one behind her is one child this day, another child that day, another child that day. And they keep thinking, well, you're flowing from this child to this child to this child. And my wife has got a real reputation in our community for being a woman who loves and cares for these children that their society has abandoned. 
powerful message. Powerful message. My wife also doesn't just talk to the ordinary folks on the street. She often finds herself talking to the homeless and the beggars, which we we get in China um, as well. And most particularly, um, this lady, Bing Lee. If you've been in the church for a while, you'll have heard her name come up every time we've come home. This is a, a young woman that we found on the streets 15 years ago. And for 15 years, my wife, with others, myself occasionally, have been caring for and looking after this homeless woman. We provided her with a room to live in. Every week we provide her with food. We provide her with clothes. She's not all there, to be politically correct. I don't know if that is politically correct, is it? <laughs> um, <clears throat> this has been a powerful witness. Again, in Chinese... If you want to know what an atheist society is like when it comes to caring, come to China. If they're not normal, throw them out, is the attitude of a lot of Chinese. And she was out on the street, completely abandoned, and Susie, and along with others, started caring for Bing Li. Not just, not just providing for her uh, food and clothes, but also talking with her, sitting with her and talking with her, praying with her trying to introduce Jesus to her. I had the privilege of going with my wife just a few weeks ago into one of the hospitals. My wife is often in the hospitals. Sometimes it's because she's sick herself, but often it's because she's taking in one of these young kids that's got some medical problem. And she's their advocate. She's the one who's taking them out of the orphanage, taking them along to the hospitals and saying, doctors, what can you do for this child? How can you help this child? Quite often she'll be doing that. And the last time that I went with Susie, she was talking in Chinese backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards with this doctor for about 40 minutes for John and for little Luke because both of them have got major health problems. And right at the end of our time together, the Chinese doctor, in reasonably good English, said to my wife, are you a Christian? I just thought, man alive, where did that come from? Susie says that often happens when she goes into the hospital. For me, it was quite a shock. But this Chinese doctor has made a connection. Christians in China care for those that society's rejected. It's had an impact on that doctor. And it's had an impact on many in China. My wife doesn't only talk to the neighbors. She doesn't only talk to the homeless and the beggars. She occasionally has a chance to talk to the thieves and the little young boys and girls that are in this picture who the police are forever picking up off the street and throwing back into the countryside to try and clean up the city. My wife talks to them. Um, one of the funniest incidences of this was when she was in the market a while ago, walking along, two of these little urchins, if you want to call them that, came up behind my wife one of them said to Susie, look, foreigner, let's get something from her. Our city is known as the petty theft capital of China. Almost every foreigner I know has had something stolen from them. One of them says to the other, let's get her. The other one said, no, don't steal from her. She helps people like us. And I'm just so thankful to God that my, God has made my wife somebody like Tabitha. And that is having a huge 
impact in our local community. She is far better known than I am. For one reason, she stands a foot taller than everybody. <laughs> Every other Chinese woman on our estate. Um, but just, just as an example of how powerful this is in China, not just the words, but the works, a while ago, we got together a, a, a good number of Chinese Christians who'd come to faith through foreigners. And we asked them two simple questions. How have we helped you to know God, come to faith, and how have we maybe possibly put you off following God? The Chinese will not answer that second question because it brings embarrassment. So they avoid that one. But the first one they said, the thing that's had the biggest impact on us coming to faith was the times that you took us out to our orphanage and showed us mainly women from overseas who'd come to China for six months, a year, two years, three years, just to change nappies of orphan children, feed the, bit, the babies that we'd abandoned. We could not put acts of kindness like that into any box that we'd ever seen before. That one experience of going to the orphanage spoke more to those young people that we talked to than all of my apologetics and discussions in the classroom with students. Works can have a powerful effect on bringing people to Christ. Thirdly, so words are necessary. They need to be in there. Works form an integral part. And thirdly and finally, wonders. And obviously the passage that we've been looking at today is 90%. The story of two amazing miracles that Peter does. Now I'd love to be able to stand here this morning and be able to say to you, last week we healed a paralytic and three days ago we raised somebody from the dead. Those things are happening in China. They're happening mainly in the countryside, to be honest, where health care is almost non-existent. The Chinese may be the most, well, a superpower and potentially the, the greatest superpower economically. Their health care system has still got a long way to go. And many in the countryside have almost no care, and so God is their only option for healing. And we do see things, though. We do see things in the city. And just recently, in our Sunday fellowship, a young man from America who's had major back problems for some time was miraculously healed. And he's a teacher with his wife in a university. And they just started telling all of their students, God's healed this back. I've had problems. These students, again, atheist upbringing, could not put a healing into any of their boxes. We tell the students about this healing, and they want to know God. And so they've been inundated with students. And so just a little bit of the miraculous we've seen in China is speaking volumes to a people that have never seen anything like this before. We need more. I'm sure you would all agree in the UK we need more of the wonders of God. We certainly need them more in the city where I am. So just to draw this, my part together, to a close... God's calling us, God's calling us to be a people anointed with the Holy Spirit. That's central to all that we are and do. And he's seeking us to make Christ known, whether that be in China with us or 
for you guys here in the UK. Through words, through works, and through wonders. And I just want to encourage you this morning, if, if you're feeling that you know, your mouth is tied in a lot of situations, then get somebody to pray with you that that mouth will be opened, that you'll be anointed by the Spirit and be given that boldness to speak the gospel in different situations. If you feel that your life, there, there isn't just an outworking of that good works that the Lord is wanting in your life, then again, pray with somebody that that anointing will come upon you and it won't be just good works out there, but in your heart there will be that desire from God to serve and to love those that are rejected and abandoned and despised. And finally, and I'd probably put myself mainly in this bracket, God, I want to see more wonders. I want to see you moving in power, healing, delivering people. Pray. Ask somebody to pray with you that that anointing of the Holy Spirit and that power of the Holy Spirit that the early church had will be something that you increasingly experience in your lives as well. Just think of that little word that Rachel brought there. God wants us to reach higher. I think in these three areas, God is wanting us to reach higher. In our speaking out, in our doing of good works which demonstrate the gospel, and in our stepping out in the miraculous. Amen. Second PowerPoint, come up please. A bit smaller so I can see around the edges to my notes. <laughs> and now for something completely different. Well, it's fairly similar. Um, I also have a slideshow. The clicky thing should still be there. Uh, I've got 70 pictures for you. I love taking pictures. And I have big hopes. I hope that you can listen to me and look at the pictures. Dave didn't think you could, because he can't. <laughs> so anyway, they're just going to be flicking over in the background. It's up to you. You could listen to me or look at the pictures. I'm a firm believer that pictures can move your heart and to pray in a way that words can't. So um, a few thoughts about this passage. Uh, in verse 32, Peter's on a pastoral trip and he heals somebody. It's not like he's kind of arranged it all. It's not a meeting. You know, are you alert, alert when you meet someone on the street or in your, in your workplace? Are you alert? Oh, I've got a headache today. Would you like me to pray? People just don't expect it and they usually say yes. <laughs> um, you know, don't start with the, the, uh, the dead Dorcases. Start with the Aeneases. Okay, they've got a problem. It's, you can see there's still life. There's, there's still hope there. Um, if you try and start with the really big things, it's too scary. And your faith probably hasn't been stretched enough. So start with, start with the Aeneases. Um, or whatever you have faith for. And ask God and see him work. I remember Roger Cole's um, theory of uh, theology of healings. He said, um, the more you pray for the more we'll get healed. You know, some people don't, but the more you ask, the more you get. So please try. <laughs> um, now Dorcas died. Yeah, that was pretty final. Um, I, I imagined how it would feel being Dorcas or um, that situation. I wrote a little poem. Now my poems are very simple. Uh, please excuse it, but it was trying to get the feeling of it. Dorcas is dead, gone. She's broken down, still poured out of no earthly use. Past it, a closed book. 
There she lies, helpless, nothing to offer. Friends try to call her back. They grieve for her, they mourn their loss. They can't reach her, she can't hear them, she's unmoved. Clear the room, it's just you and me, you're not one of a crowd. The Lord knows her name, he cares, he draws near, he gazes down fondly at her. Through Peter, he takes her hand. He speaks tenderly and she rises up in his strength and he breathes newness of life into her. He didn't choose to bring back John the Baptist, the passionate prophet, the forerunner. He didn't bring back Stephen, the powerful preacher and evangelist. He brought back dear Dorcas, his giving, generous, precious daughter. Uh, This year, there's been certain areas of my life that have felt dead, certain giftings that were just totally dormant and not being used. And through folks like Mike Beaumont and Alison, God has just reached out a hand and lifted me up. So I'm now free to lead worship sometimes in our fellowship. Um, Yeah, if you you have a friend who's an Aeneas (laughs) or a Dorcas, be willing to to stretch out a hand, help them up onto their feet. Um, I think, this might be wrong, but I think this is the first time anybody's been raised from the dead since Jesus. So Peter had no precedent. It's a new situation. Um, but go for it. We've, we've been prompted to pray for kids with AIDS to be healed. And there's no, no sign of it in their blood. They're still taking the medicine just in case, <laughs> because the doctor said so. But um, there's no sign of it, no trace. You can measure the blood. There's no, no sign of the AIDS virus. Um, okay. Oh, verse 41, 42, he, he calls her by name. And there's something very special about that. A lot of the little ones we talk to, or Bingley, once you know their name, it's not just the poor. It's a person, and it's, it's something you can help with. Um, there's a heart connection. Once a toddler has held my hand, or hugged my leg, or looked at me with just huge empty eyes, you know, a lot of them haven't learned to smile in the orphanage, um, they become real. Once you love them, they become real to you. And it's not just the poor. So please do get involved with people. Uh, finally, Peter chooses to stay with a tanner. Just a little verse at the end, he's staying with a tanner. Um, I don't think a good Jewish scribe, Pharisee, would have done that because they're dealing with dead animal skins. They use uric acid. And it was all kind of very non-kosher. And although Peter and Paul and these guys, they're not yet going out to the Gentiles... I think it's a bit of a bridge. It was a bit of a step out of his comfort zone to stay with this kind of slightly smelly, probably slightly unkosher guy. So, yeah, um, don't be put off by people's exterior. A lot of these little orphans, they've, um, yeah, they, they'd have scabies, they'd, they'd be smelly, lice, that sort of thing. But don't look at that. Look at look at the heart. Um, I was going to tell a couple stories about Bingley. Is that okay? Oh, no, there we are. There we are. Oh, steady on, steady on. <laughs> and gyroscope, which you've just flicked past. Sorry. Um, Bingley, some of the things that have happened have not been so much her uh, understanding of the gospel. She's obsessional, compulsive, doesn't really understand, doesn't function normally. But what's happened is the people around her see that God cares and loves her. So her landlady's daughter asked me, well, why are you helping this girl? She's not giving anything back. She's rude to you. She's aggressive. Um, and I said, oh, it's because we're Christians. Jesus loves her. He thinks she's precious. And um, 
this landlady's daughter, Lily, she said, well, what else do Christians do? Said, oh, we read the Bible. Oh, can I have a Bible? Oh, we go to church. Oh, what do you do at church? We sing. Oh, can I come? And it's just that kind of thing that as people see it, it's not necessarily the person. You can, there's more of being there. Um, it's not necessarily the person, but it, it, it does have an effect in the community. The, the special needs school photos there. Um, there we are. A lot of these kids that we've saved are now growing up. And that's a new thing in China because usually they, were, they, they weren't allowed to live. So there's a whole generation of kids growing up who've not gone to school and... Um, just the, the Chinese don't know what to do with them. So we've opened a little school and the welfare centres say, there's no point in educating them. What's, why, are you, why are you bothering? You know, they're, they're just uh, disabled. Just forget about them. But what's happening is they're learning to, well, some of them it's simple things like cleaning their teeth and brushing their hair. Some of them are learning to read and write. Uh, the Downs kids, they're really quite bright. They learn to read and write and they get jobs and the employers say, well, have you got any more of these kids? They're great. They, they finish the work. They're, they're polite. And um, it's just been a real testimony to these orphanages and welfare centres to see the potential in these folks. Oh, this is, I think this is hilarious. We opened a special needs school. I mean, you've got to start somewhere, haven't you? But the teacher had never taught and the students had never been students. So she had her job cut out. Uh, young young Wayning. Yeah, bless her. She just tried. Um, so there we are. That's the end. Um, are you um, feeling yourself that you're partly like an Aeneas that part of you is numb or dead and you can ask for the Lord's healing touch or do you have friends and part of their lives is is out of action or even they look totally dead but you know keep keep asking the Lord uh, what does God want to do in their lives and can you be that helping hand that will raise them up okay thank you